procurement, my field, you know, we're one part of it. We're a strategic partner to the engineers and to the plant. It shouldn't be, you know, I'm out on an island, they're on an island and somebody else is. And then we're not even talking the same language. Welcome to the Manufacturing Executive Podcast, where we explore the strategies and experiences that are driving mid-sized manufacturers forward. Here, you'll discover new insights from passionate manufacturing leaders who have compelling stories to share about their successes and struggles. And you'll learn from B2B sales and marketing experts about how to apply actionable business development strategies inside your business. Let's get into the show. Welcome to another episode of the Manufacturing Executive Podcast. This show is being brought to you by our sponsor, Cadenas Part Solutions. I'm Joe Sullivan, your host and a co-founder of the industrial marketing agency, Gorilla76. So anyone who's listened to this show before knows that I'm a marketing and sales guy, and I co-lead an agency that helps manufacturers do those things more effectively. So naturally, a number of our episodes on the podcast have had kind of a marketing or sales spin to them. But today, we're going to talk to somebody on the other side of the coin, and that's procurement. Aaron Breimer is a supply chain leader with an extensive background in contracting, negotiation, logistics, purchasing, and inventory management. Aaron handles international and domestic sourcing, along with delivering cost savings across a wide category of products. Aaron is also the recent founder and host of the Manufacturing Procurement Guy podcast, where he highlights manufacturing leaders so they can discuss their successes in the marketplace. His most important job is being a proud husband of 13 years and a father of two beautiful girls. Aaron, welcome to the show. Joe, thanks for having me. Really appreciate the time and uh, honor to be on your show. Yeah, you bet. And it's been exciting watching you get your show off the ground in, in recent months. I, I wrote a, a LinkedIn post not too long ago, as you know, and, and even highlighted in, in our newsletter to geez, 4,000 some manufacturing people that your story, because it was inspirational. I, you, know, you, you reached out to me a, a while back about you know, sort of how to build build a brand at a personal level, and and I, I talked about this idea of launching a podcast, and and then all of a sudden, like a week later, you've got a podcast. It was is awesome the way you just jumped on it and you said, "I'm doing it," and and you dove right in. So, love the initiative. Yeah, yeah, and I appreciate your feedback too, Joe. It's and you're right. You and I had a conversation, and you gave me great advice and feedback, and you know, have known you for a while, and and respected you and Franco, and you know, personally and professionally and and uh, just just you guys do a great job and appreciate everything you've done. Awesome. Well, I appreciate uh, that comment. So, <laughs> well, Aaron, we have talked a lot on this show about sales and marketing over the first 25 episodes or so, but every one of my clients and and, and the listeners to this show too is manufacturing folks somewhere somewhere during the sales process, they're going to run into their customer's version of you as a procurement guy or buyer. And so I love bringing your perspective to the table here as somebody in procurement. And I think getting right into it here, a topic that I know is particularly relevant right now is we finally get ready to put this ugly year of 2020 in the rearview mirror for, you know, for anybody listening into the future here, we're recording this in kind of early mid December of 2020. But the, you know, a particularly relevant topic right now is risk mitigation in the supply chain or having second sources when disruption occurs, whether it's 
some kind of crazy disruption like we've experienced, something like we've never seen before at, at, with COVID, but you know, also other forms of supply chain disruption that everybody experiences along the way and is going to continue to experience somewhere along the way. So can you kind of speak to this topic a little bit? Sure, absolutely. Yeah, I think one thing to point out early on is that it's not even if when a disruption is going to happen, it's going to be when it happens. And I think one thing that being in the field now for about a decade, just like you said earlier, Joe, is second sourcing. That's That's been a big focus in my career is making for sure that we have qualified second sources for our primary products. So whether it's a raw material or whether it's a production supplies or whatever that looks like in your field, making for sure that you're you're not only looking at what you're buying, but who you're buying from, and then also making for sure, again, that you've got quality second sources in place because disruptions will happen, you know, whether it's it's a vendor that that you work with that maybe their company goes on strike, which I've seen and and it, and it puts me as the buyer as the procurement person, in a bind, if I don't have somebody qualified that I can reach out to and say, hey, you know, we'd like to kind of move forward with you guys and see if there's an opportunity to buy, procure items from you. So second source is a really big thing. I think also on the risk mitigation is inventory management. Inventory management is making for sure that as some people in the field say, you've got a buffer of inventory. You've got an inventory level of items that if, if, if let's just say your vendor uh, supplier cannot ship for eight weeks, or let's just say that there's issues at the port, how do you handle those things? So I've always said, I'd always have a little bit more than not enough. So that's the way I've always kind of tried to bridge that gap because again, I'll continue to say it, but it's not if it happens, it's when it happens and making for sure that your total supply chain is set up to face these types of issues, similar to what we've been seeing in this uh, very difficult year. Yeah. Great points there. How about negotiation, Aaron? I know this is something when you and I chatted a, a few weeks ago to kind of think about what, what would be helpful on this episode. That's a topic you brought up. You know, what's, what is someone like you in a buyer's role looking at when, say, there are three bids on the table? And how often is it about more than just price? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. Uh, I mean, I'll say this. I love negotiation. I love the art of it. I mean, I love there's so much art and science. I've had the opportunity to go to the Booth School of Business and other programs where I've learned from some of the best and brightest in the field, you know, how to negotiate, how to do it. But to that question, Joe, of, you know, looking at three bids, the first thing, you know, we got to make for sure is that these apples to apples bids. And, you know, whether it's, it's a, it's a bid for, you know, a piece of iron or whether it's a, it's a bid for a very intricate a design, we have to make for sure that who's ever bidding on it, that we're looking at the same thing because that's what I've ran in a lot, especially when we get in, in detailed things like drawings and specific items and things like that. Somebody could bid this and I could look at it as a procurement person, not privy enough to all the details behind it and say, well, man, they're 25% less. Why wouldn't we go with them? I talk with an engineer or I talk with somebody from our operations who knows the application, who's the SME that says, well, it's because they didn't include this in their bid. So I think looking at that, making for sure it's apples to apples. And then also other things are really big. I think working capital is another big thing and pay terms. You know, Pay terms is a very, very big component of a lot of bids now. And a lot of companies are looking to obviously 
push payments out. And so, you know, if if somebody comes at me with net 30 terms and the price is 10,000 and then somebody comes at me with net 20 or 120, I mean, and and their price is 10% more, you know, we've got calculators that'll kind of take those assumptions into effect and say, what's the best thing for your business right now? Is it is it a a, a business where cash is king and you need that or is it business where you don't have much debt. So to you, the pay terms really isn't a big thing. You want to get the lowest price. So there's a lot of factors that go into a negotiation. First, again, making for sure that you're looking at the same thing. Second, looking at all points of the actual bid. So you want to make for sure that the RFP, RFQ is, is tailored and very specific. So when it's sent out, everybody is looking at the same thing and that they come back with exactly what you're requesting as the buyer or procurement person. We're going to take a really quick break here to help pay the bills. So 2020 has been a weird year. Industries are facing new challenges as we navigate life without trade shows, events, and in-person meetings. Many businesses are bolstering their online tools to offer a better experience, while also making up for some of those missing trade show leads. And that's where Cadena's Parts Solutions comes in. They help you create a dynamic, shareable CAD catalog that you put on your website. Designers can preview your products from any angle and download in the format that they prefer. By improving the online experience, engineers and architects get the data they need for their design, and you get a fresh lead in your marketing pipeline. Who needs trade shows anyway? To learn more, visit partsolutions.com slash leads. And you had some really great nuggets in there. You know, the the terms point I think is is really great because sometimes it might be kind of an apples to apples comparison and and even the price might be similar, but you know, if if cash flow is is super important right now, that's probably a lever that can be pulled, huh? Yeah, absolutely. It really is. I mean, it's and again, working with various size of companies and companies that look at things differently as far as you know cash flow and you know cash cycles and and you know there's obviously different ways of being paid. Whether you know there's there's purchasing cards, there's things called V cards, there's obviously your standard check, but there's a lot of ways you can do that. But pay terms is really one thing that I feel like these last kind of five to seven years has became such a big topic in negotiation as far as, you know, what are the terms going to be? What are the terms going to be? And quite frankly, it's it's one of the first questions I'll ask as a procurement person is that, you know, yeah, I want to know your price. I want to know, you know, what does that look like? What's your service? What's my expectations? What's my team's expectations? But also, what's your pay terms? And that's that's a really big part of it. Yeah, great insight. Something else you hit on there that comes up a lot in my conversations with, you know, especially sales teams that, you know, we, we Gorilla 76, our agency serves midsize manufacturers doing marketing and, and some sales consulting too. And, you know, we're always getting into conversations about who the ideal buyer is, not only at a company level, but who the buying process influencers are inside of a company. And it's often there's engineers, might be plant managers, operations folks, C-suite at some point, procurement is always there. But what's interesting is with most of our clients who sell more complex, customs, big ticket items, they are focused primarily on the people who play a role earlier in the buying process, which tends to be technical people or engineers. And often by the time the conversation with procurement happens, those people, those technical people 
have already had their hands on it and their eyes on it. And they are an advocate for the a solution to procurement. You know, ultimately it's got to run through them. But I'm curious, yeah, you know, from your perspective, what role do engineers tend to play in a buying decision? When when do you also have to go pull their expertise to help you make a decision? Yeah, that's great question. A lot there. I would say that one thing I always push for, Joe, is to make for sure that I'm aware of these conversations early on because you're exactly right. I, I've seen it where I kind of get pulled in at the very end and they've already had you know, say multiple conversations with one company and they've got two other bids, but really they've met with one company seven times and already had a layout and already talked design and all that stuff. And, and then they come to me and say, hey, here's the two other bids. Well, it doesn't really, that typically doesn't work really well from a negotiation standpoint. So I try and tell my folks, whether it's engineers or, or whether it's, you know, the, the plan operations folks, let me be involved early on. And, you know, I never want to be called the bad guy, but the guy that kind of has to go back and say, hey, you know, here's the expectations. Let me kind of lay it out. Let me kind of be that intermediary between you and the company. Now, another point you made, Joe, was that there is definitely certain things that I'm not the SME on. If there's if there's drawings, schematics, if there's things like that, you know, if there's layouts of a plant or layout of a design or a gearbox or some sort of motor that has very intricate a design behind it, certainly I got to get my people involved on that early. But I never like to work in a silo. I always want to make for sure that I'm working with all the players in it. So, you know, because at the end of the day, you know, these are decisions, especially for major buys there should be numerous parties involved in that from an organization. Procurement, my field, you know, we're one part of it. We're a strategic partner to the engineers and to the plant. It shouldn't be, you know, I'm out on an island, they're on an island and somebody else is. And then we're not even talking the same language. So, you know, to kind of sum that up, I want to make for sure that I'm in these conversations and that the end user is in these conversations early on and that we're making these uh, decisions and having these conversations because it can even come to contracting too. So if it's a situation where, you know, we got to have some, a contract behind it, some sort of an agreement, you know, some sort of terms and conditions behind it, you know, I'm going to be heavily involved in that. So I want to make for sure that I'm in these conversations and that I'm representing the company and making for sure we're not only doing what's best, but that, you know, we're getting the right solution for the end user. Yeah. Great perspective there. How, you know, as a follow-up there, Aaron, I'm curious when, when you know, the, the technical professionals, engineers, the ones who are the SMEs go too far down a path with one particular solution provider and you get looped in too late, well, you know, what, what kind of happens? Does, does, do things get derailed? Do they wind up having to backtrack and, you know, go talk to other companies then to get competitive bids? I realize it's going to be different from one scenario to the next, but just kind of curious what kind of problems that winds up presenting. It can present a lot of problems. I mean, especially if we're talking about a large scale project or a large scale buy. I mean, again, I can't state it enough how it's important that the procurement person, you know, your procurement agent, whoever that person is, your procurement director is involved in these conversations because like you said, and, and I've seen it more than I would like to admit where I get pulled in the very end or even worse these decisions have been made 
and we've engaged with these companies and contracts have been signed without me being a part of it. And then there's ramifications of, of, you know, I like to put deadlines on when the machine is supposed to be here. And if they're not, then there are certain pay clauses or rebate clauses that the vendor would have to adhere to. So, you know, a lot of times that if we have specific dates, let's just say that a plant has a scheduled shutdown or you have a date where this, you know, a piece of equipment has to be here for installation for it to start running on X date. Well, if you've kind of worked with a vendor and they tell you, you know, a handshake and a thumbs up, you know, we're good to go. And then all of a sudden that it doesn't show up on that date. That's when I get pulled in. And they're like, you got to reach out to the vendor, find out what's going on. And I'm like, what vendor are you talking about? <laughs> you know, so I think it is really important that, you know, I like to be in these conversations early on, not as though I'm acting as the SME, but just so I'm kind of on board to kind of set those expectations with my colleagues. And then also with the folks who are buying the piece of equipment or service from. Yep. Great points. Aaron, you and I were recently talking about the difference between vendors that are proactive versus vendors that are more reactive. And I'm curious from your perspective, is, is there a time and place for both types? And when do you prefer one style over the other? Yeah. You know, Joe, I, I would say that I'm going to typically prefer my proactive vendors. And it's the vendors that if they see that there's a byproduct that we buy, that we buy and, and there's a byproduct of a part that they make or, or a raw material or an ingredient that they're telling me, hey, we're hearing that this thing may cause a price increase down the road. Or we're hearing that the manufacturer of this part is, is having some issues or they have a machine down. So we may need to look at procuring this from somewhere. There's, I can't tell you how big that is to me to know that type of information up front. So I would say as a whole, getting that type of information as early, as soon as possible means a lot for me as a procurement person, because that means I can at least start to do some backup work initially to make for sure that my team and my folks are ready if something would happen down the line that this vendor kind of let me know about. Yeah, that's good stuff. So for anybody listening who is a supplier to somebody else, you know, be an educator, right? Be be a you know a, a voice in your industry. Make sure you you know what's going on and 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 share that information. Yeah, absolutely, Joe. I think yeah, that's that's put excellent. I mean, it really is. I think it's just if you know something that could impact someone, i.e., your customer, let them know that upfront. Especially for the vendors that you know and your customers that you have a a good rapport and relationship with. I mean, that's that's big. And that's what when I think of a proactive vendor, I think of a you know a relational vendor, not just a transactional vendor. I think a transactional. I think of somebody that's just reactive, just reacting to the industry. Hey, sorry, we can't ship this when well we sent a purchase order two weeks ago, and now you're just telling me this, and we expect it to be here in two days. Like stuff like that can be very frustrating, and not just to me, but a lot of times the procurement person is the one that is going to have to convey that information to the plant manager or to somebody in operations or engineering. So it's just kind of, again, making for sure that your relationship is good and that you have really good streamlined communication uh, for you know current issues or anything that could impact them down the road. Another topic that I wanted to hit on was this idea of when it's time to part ways with a vendor. How do you do it in a way that's, you know, doesn't burn bridges, that's respectful? You know, it, it could be probably an uncomfortable or even awkward situation sometimes, I suppose, but something that probably is part of your world, right? 
It is. It is. And, you know, I've been doing this for a while now and, and, uh, you know, having those conversations still, most of the time they're not, they're not easy, but uh, I'm going to revert back to something. My grandfather, who's uh, 88 years old, he served in the Korean war. Somebody that I love and respect has told me since I was 10 years old, he said, Aaron, do a job large or small, do it right or not at all. And, and I love that and I live by that. And so to answer your question, I love to have these conversations face to face. Now, I realize in 2020, Joe, as you you as you led into that, it's it's been a, a difficult year, challenging year, and quite frankly, a pretty horrible year for a lot of people and whatnot, and for their families and everything. And but uh, I always want to have those conversations face to face, and I think it's the professional thing to do. I think it's the right thing to do, and especially if there was a contentious bid or there was something going on where maybe the relationship kind of soured or maybe expectations were not met. I think it's critical to have those conversations face to face. I want to be sitting across somebody and tell them this is why we're moving a different direction and this is what we're going to do, as opposed to sitting in an email. That's my preference. That's the way I like to handle things. And that's the way I've handled handled things in the past. Yeah. Maybe you and I are old school, but I, I'm in the same boat. I think humanize yourself, you know, it, it just brings kind of a, a level of respect and, and you never know when things might come back around. I've been on the receiving end of that where, you know, somebody parted ways with, with me and my agency and geez, I mean, literally I had a call this week with somebody who we did business with a few years back and we parted ways on good terms and and now the time's right again. And we're, we're kind of back in the conversation with them and, you know, could have, could have gone in another direction depending on either how they or we had handled the situation. So I think just keeping those relationships strong where you can is important. Absolutely, Joe. I, I couldn't agree more. And it's just, you know, what we heard years ago too, you know, don't burn bridges. And because you, you're exactly right, you never know when somebody, when a vendor could come back in your life and really potentially help you out or, or be a catalyst to maybe, maybe the, the, the company's made changes. And, you know, three years down the road, you guys are looking at some different types of automation. And now that company is, you know, is a partner that you can work with. So I've seen that too. And you're exactly right. And it's just, don't burn bridges, even you know, even with salespeople. I mean, a, a lot of times, you know, I interact with salespeople all the time, every day, and whatnot. And it's just, you know, I'm with you on the whole old school thing because it just, you know, I want I want my vendors to set time slots if we're going to meet. I want my vendors to, you know, to make for sure they're telling me about this stuff. And with that, that's just not a one way street. I want to tell them the same thing. If our business is making changes, if the climate is is changing and evolving, and you know there looks to be some sort of you know change that's going to happen, something like that, I want to make for sure that I'm communicating with them as well. So, just having good communication, I think, is is really the best practice. For sure. Well, Aaron, I've kind of covered my questions here for you today. Is there anything you'd like to add that I didn't ask you about, or a way you'd like to wrap this up? You know, first, let me thank you again, Joe, for having me on. It's I can't say it again. I've known Joe and his business partner, John Franco, for a number of years. And just, you know, you guys are, you guys are top notch. And I mean that just, just great guys and just doing the right thing. And, and uh, just, I couldn't recommend a company to work for more than Gorilla 76. So appreciate you and appreciate what you're doing, Joe. So as far as kind of something to end with as any other topic, I would just say that 2020 has been a challenging year. And I would just tell the folks who are listening to this, be resilient and things will come back. But make for sure you've got proper things in place for risk mitigation. Make for sure you're having good communication. And if anybody has any you know, questions, if I can be of any support, you know, I'm more than welcome to do that. 
Great. Well, I appreciate the kind words. I did not pay Aaron to say those things, but <laughs> probably should, probably should. But uh, a great, great conversation though, Aaron. You brought a, a ton of great insights here. And I think that our listeners are going to get a, a lot of value out of this. So appreciate you taking the time out of your day to do this. Absolutely. You bet, Joe. It's been my pleasure. Well, last question, Aaron. Uh, where, where can people get in touch with you? And also, I, I want to plug your, your new podcast. You're just a few episodes in, but you're, you're going down a great path with the manufacturing procurement guy. So can you speak to those two things where sure. people can find you? Yeah, absolutely. I think the best way to find me is just on LinkedIn. Seems like LinkedIn is a best business networking site out there and just, just for information and networking and just, uh, just an opportunity to learn and grow. So that would be the best way to find me on LinkedIn. And you could shoot me an email or, or my phone numbers on there as well. And yeah, I just started, uh, started the manufacturing procurement guy podcast three episodes in thanks to the support of Joe and some others who've really been a catalyst for that. So there's a podcast manufacturing procurement guy. So I'm trying to do at least one or two a month. That's my goal right now. And, and, uh, you know, we'll see where we go from there, but, uh, really excited about it and really, you know, would love to help if you have any questions. So thank you. Great. Awesome. Well, go check that out. Uh, Aaron's off to a great start. So, I would like to say thank you once again to our sponsor, Cadenas Part Solutions, for helping make this episode possible. And Aaron, thanks for taking the time to join. Thank you, Joe. It's been my pleasure. As for the rest of you, I hope to catch you on the next episode of The Manufacturing Executive. You've been listening to The Manufacturing Executive Podcast. To ensure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player. If you'd like to learn more about industrial marketing and sales strategy, you'll find an ever-expanding collection of articles, videos, guides, and tools specifically for B2B manufacturers at gorilla76.com learn. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.